Hello everyone, my name is Doily Gottlieb and I would like to welcome you to European Health Union Now, a podcast series produced by the European Health Forum Gastein for the European Health Union Initiative. Hello and welcome to the second edition of our podcast series in which we discuss current political events and developments through the lens of the ideas and aims behind the European Health Union Initiative. My name is Doily Kagotlip and I'm the Secretary General of the EHFG and also a member of the European Health Union Initiative, which calls for more health in the EU and more EU in health and on the political leaders of Europe to commit to cre creating a solidaric, equitable, people-centered European Health Union. Today's topic is Facing Tomorrow's Health Threats, a strong ECDC for a resilient Europe. And I'm delighted to have a conversation with Dr. Andrea Amon, the director of the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control to discuss the current and the future role of the ECDC in pandemic surveillance, preparedness and response in Europe and what the last year has been like for Andrea personally. Andrea Amon is also a member of the advisory committee of the European Health Forum Gastein. A warm welcome to you, Andrea, and thank you so much for joining me today in this second podcast. Andrea, you were elected as the director of ECDC just over four years ago. And obviously for your work, it's kind of your bread and butter to be prepared for pandemics. But could you and your colleagues have imagined what has hit us? Well, uh, thank you for inviting me for today for this podcast. And uh, to your question, ECDC has been set up for such a situation, but we never knew if it would be coming and when it would be coming. And we always assumed it would be an influenza pandemic. So now we know, of course, differently. And in a way, this pandemic has highlighted where we are vulnerable as institution, but also in general, um, how we are actually interconnected and our, uh, and that's now more specifically for our institution, how we are dependent on the, a certain knowledge about infectious diseases and parameters and the difficulties to act without this basis. Because at the beginning, in January last year, we didn't know much about this, this disease. We did not have anything to fall back on, right? Well, I mean, what we do in these situations is fall back on analogies. And all of these analogies proved wrong. You know, the analogies with the first SARS virus, because this virus is completely different. And the first uh, weeks were really a steep, steep learning experience. And so there are really many lessons that we can learn. Mm -hmm. And that's the positive take of all this. <laughs> I know that there were a lot of expectations of the ECDC, but of course you have a mandate and that mandate limits you, right? So were you able to meet those expectations, Andrea? Depends on whom you ask. Our mandate is very clear. It's regarding infectious diseases and it says that ECDC does risk assessment, no risk management. Now, in this situation, we were, first of all, 
expected to assess and give advice on control measures in uh, sectors like airplanes, trains, cruise ships, meat factories, and so forth. And we were expected all of a sudden to tell member states what to do. There were many stakeholders that thought, yeah, but I mean, you are the center for, for disease prevention and control. What can you control? Well, it turns out not much. Uh, because um, uh, telling member states what to do is not part of our mandate. And it's not even a part of the EU competence in health. And then when we come back to the expectations, there is also the sheer volume of work that we had and the size of our agency where we had in the past years to cut down on stuff. So we had to drop almost half of our planned work on other important topics like antimicrobial resistance, vaccine preventable diseases, tuberculosis. And that, of course, was also the case for our counterparts in the member states. And I think here we will be facing some aftermath. Which is uh, basically something that we keep hearing that generally other diseases were neglected in, in this pandemic, right? And it kind of connects to a call that has been made of ECDC possibly in the future also being responsible for non-communicable diseases. Do you think that would make sense? I mean, from my point of view, my personal point of view, it would make sense to have it uh, a public health agency at EU level. However, I mean, these kind of questions came up uh, in the past few years from uh, several sides. All in all, it doesn't seem that um, it's really on the agenda for member states. But uh, I think it, there, there are areas where I would believe it would be beneficial to have a more comprehensive overview. The European Commission has, has taken this up now, uh, you know, partly in response, of course, to the pandemic. It was clear ECDC's mandate needed to be extended. And it's now under negotiation in the European Council and the European Parliament. What exactly would this new mandate entail and, and what would it change for your work? The proposals would strengthen our uh, capabilities in areas where we are already active. And that means uh, reinforcing surveillance uh, systems through digitalization. Preparedness and response activities would also be strengthened, for example, assisting member states in developing preparedness plans against future epidemics, developing indicators for preparedness and so forth. The new mandate, at least the legal proposal, foresees also to enable ECDC to issue non-binding recommendations to member states in relation to risk management. In addition, the contribution of ECDC to the EU's international cooperation in global health, um, global health security preparedness, would be reinforced through expansion of collaboration with international partners and third countries. This would help, of course, to strengthen also their capacities. So we would get a mandate to also help third countries in strengthen their capacities. So in addition to uh, boosting our existing activities, there are also some new areas that are proposed, for instance, 
setting up an EU-level platform for the post-authorization monitoring of vaccine safety and effectiveness uh, that we host jointly with EMA. And we have actually already started doing that now for the COVID vaccines. Another new area would be to create a new health task force to support uh, countries, member states, in strengthening preparedness and be able to intervene rapidly in a health crisis at the request of an affected country, both in the EU but also um, outside. Lastly, there is a new area coordinating a new network of EU reference laboratories. Uh, for public health and a network also for national services for supporting transfusion, transplantation and medically assisted reproduction and assessing the infectious disease risks for those areas. That sounds like quite a different mandate than you have now and very much an extended ma mandate, right? So that also means you would need a lot more resources. Uh, of course, uh, there will be more resources needed, in particular staffing. The current proposal foresees that we get 73 posts in addition. And over the seven years, the next financial framework, 157 million uh, more. So quite quite a change for, for ECDC. And uh, we will know for sure in July, I think, right? Well, this is when the Parliament has set their final vote. Uh, the Council uh, hasn't given a definite timing, so we hope it will be adopted by the end of the year. Okay, okay, thank you. Very interesting to hear all the, to get the insider information from you. What we have heard also is that some states are a bit worried that there might be a duplication, that there could be an additional bureaucratic burden if more power was given, given to ECDC. You know the other side very well too, because you used to work on country level in, in Germany. So do you understand that the member states are a bit reluctant and, and how can you best envisage working together with member states in the future? I do understand the worry that the, although we are saying, well, we are doing all this in support of, of you member states, uh, that they think, yeah, but uh, in order that you support us, we have to give you more information. And that is something that we, we really have to seriously consider. Whatever comes and additional tasks for us should not lead to an additional burden. Now, there are, of course, ways of doing this, making better use of already existing data, bringing those together that are stored somewhere and then bringing those data together. Digitalization should help to relieve a lot of manual burden of experts. And in essence, and that is what I just reiterated in the Council Working Party this week, we will do and set up these indicators, you know, um, and the work in consultation with the member states. Because in the end, uh, it's not only what we think is useful, it should be useful for them as well. So, and that can only be done in a, in, a, in a dialogue. And I think something we have seen also that this collaboration is, is direly needed, right? Collaboration is certainly something that can be optimized. <laughs> Putting it diplomatically. <laughs> In parallel, there's also an, an ongoing consultation on the European Health Emergency Response Authority, HERA. 
which is proposed by the Commission in the framework of the European Health Union. And it's meant to enable rapid availability, access and the distribution of countermeasures. Can you already judge or say how, how you would see this working, uh, ECDC and HERA together? I mean, we have the inception impact assessment. That's the piece of information that is now available. That says very clearly that this body will complement and um, create synergies with the work of the existing EU agencies like ECDC or the EMA. And how this will really look in practice, we, we have to uh, discuss carefully now that the proposal is developed. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, just to add here, the European Health Union initiative very strongly supports, of course, an extension of uh, ECDC's mandate. I don't know whether you've seen, but recently the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, uh, she proposed a, a stronger EU role in health publicly, and she even mentioned a treaty change to strengthen the health agenda in Europe. So that was quite a boost uh, to the initiative. Before we uh, look more into the future, Andrea, let's just take a quick look back on the last year and what we could have done differently and what we could have done better. How could we have better prepared? How, how, how can we ensure that we strengthen the resilience and the preparedness of our health systems for the future? I mean, it's very easy now to look back and say, well, we should have this and uh, the other instead and this uh, dif differently. But we should not now try to retroactively, uh, retrospectively say, well, who is to blame and, and criticize. What we absolutely need to do, though, is look back and say, based on this experience that we had, what do we have to do now differently in order to act differently in the future? So that is something that we really need to do. And one of the things that we really need to do is we have already proposed this to member states, is uh, to do after-action reviews. Really review how things went and then analyze and see what did not work. For many things, there were ad hoc solutions found. And we have to make sure that these ad hoc solutions, if they worked, are not forgotten. That they are uh, put in these new plans so that they become now uh, part of the standard that is uh, to be applied in the future. And people don't have to think again and reinvent it again. Which is uh, something I've heard you say elsewhere already, something that we have neglected in the past, partly also, right? To really learn from pandemics and, and then implement the learnings in the next one. I mean, we always have done lessons learned uh, after the 2009 influenza pandemic, after Ebola. Uh, so we have done really thorough lessons learned exercises, but we haven't learned the lessons. And that is what we're seeing now. Yeah. And uh, if we look globally, we can see some countries have fared really well during the COVID pandemic. Was there exchange between also between countries also globally beyond the EU? And is there a country or a region where you say we can definitely learn from them? Yes. I mean, we have a forum with CDCs from other countries outside of the EU with China, with uh, the US, with Canada, Africa. And now this network has now been joined by countries like Singapore, South Korea, Japan, 
and Mexico. And, you know, when we were in our first wave last spring, the, the Southeast Asian countries were just out. So it was very helpful to hear how they approach the situation. I mean, of course, some of the lessons cannot be, some of the approaches cannot be transferred one-to-one because the societies are set up in a different way. But it was very clear that their, their main success in bringing down and keeping it at low levels was test and trace. It was very clear. So uh, in that sense, I I firmly believe in this exchange, in this peer-to-peer change and learning from each other. And do you think we did enough of this test and trace in Europe? In to different degrees. I mean, countries have implemented this to the best they could, but also here, uh, I think it is good to look what worked, what didn't work, and see what can be done to lift this maybe also to a general, a more general standard. Okay, thank you. Just to wrap this up now, uh, what would be three top actions that you would wish for that Europe would take on to prepare? Well, first of all, I think we, we have paid a bit the price that public health, I mean, health in general isn't so, hasn't been uh, always on top of the agenda, but public health was even lower. And I think it needs to be clear that investment in public health is an investment and not a cost. Because, I mean, that is what we're seeing. Uh, Structures were, were, were outdated, people were not enough, and so forth. So that, I think, would be very important. And You know, that's nothing that you can develop overnight. It's something that will need a longer-term perspective. And in particular, with the view that in many countries, the current public health workforce is close to retirement and there is nobody coming after because it's not attractive. And that, I think, is something that's ticking. And it's clear it will come. So that has to be uh, tackled really now. I mentioned already these after-action reviews because I find they are very essential because they form a basis for a rational um, plan how to move forward. You know, based also on each country's specificities, but also looking at where are similar learnings in many countries so that we can pull this uh, maybe also at the, at the EU level. Well, the last thing is, we mentioned it also, fully really embrace collaboration. You know, this whole pandemic is not about who is doing better or who is doing worse, who is first and who is last. It's really about acknowledging we are in this together. And if someone is first and someone is behind, the first one is also behind. Exactly. We can't say this. No one is safe until everyone is safe often enough, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have my own wording that we're only, uh, if we're, we are prepared together, we are safe together. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit of a different angle. And in particular, this collaboration needs to be with a focus on cross-border issues, because I think in the past 15 months, there were issues, cross-borders, where people were trapped you know, that I used to work in and live on different sides of the border. And then they were all of a sudden stuck on one side. 
So, Andrea, you definitely see a lot of opportunities to make the best of this crisis and to learn a lot, right, for the future. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, aspects that we can tackle. <laughs> We're not wasting this crisis. No, not if I have to say something. Uh, one thing that, that has been a big topic is trust and, and how crucial it has been during the pandemic and actually trust or the lack of trust. There was trust in governments and authorities uh, during the first wave, it seemed, overall. But somehow that was lost in, in, in many of the societies. Do you have any, any idea how governments and decision makers can regain that trust of the people? I mean, gaining, regaining trust is never, never an easy thing to do. And I think also here it will be very difficult. And it's even more difficult to say how it can be done in general, because it may have different reasons in different countries. But I believe it is also important. An important first step is to establish trust in the messages by just leading by example. And we have all seen uh, examples where this wasn't the case, where those that have preached certain uh, behavior behave themselves completely different. That isn't trust-inspiring. If you have certain messages, make sure you follow them yourself. That, I think, would be a first step that you walk the talk. The other part is really the dialogue with the community. And the so-called community engagement to make sure that the public feels part of the whole effort and not just the recipient of measures. Because in the end, the control of this uh, pandemic is not achieved by healthcare workers and public health workers alone. Everybody can contribute and they have to feel empowered that it, it's also up to them, to their part, that this whole thing will go away. Uh, and this, this, I think, community engagement is something that was missing in the preparedness plans. It's missing in the training of public health and maybe also healthcare workers. So that we have here really uh, a huge potential uh, because in principle, uh, I don't think that people have an ill will. They just sometimes do not understand. They get conflicting messages and then they, well, lose the orientation. Yeah, that's definitely one of the aspects that was seen, that it's very difficult for lay people to judge what, what is right and what is wrong. Am I doing the right thing and uh, who to trust? And it's also closely connected to another problem that has arisen, and that is uh, the messaging and uh, the you know controversial expert advice. Who is an expert? And the populist politicians who, who use this messaging for, for their political agendas. And all that false information is, is uh, circulating and has become a real risk factor over the last, last year. Has the ECD done anything to combat the infodemic? I mean, from our point of view, it's quite difficult to tackle this. In essence, what uh, needs to be done, and uh, that's what we have tried really to do, to establish ourselves as a, a source of trustworthy information. In the sense that we have, we have massively increased our social media presence. 
And we have also, of course, uh, put out, you know, videos, how to wear a mask, uh, infographics, you know, tried to translate our scientific reports into easy to understand uh, media that member states also could take and translate. That's the one thing. And the other part which I find very important is that the uh, that there needs to be transparency in the information. So we have, from quite the beginning, published the data sets behind our statistics. So that we, that we not just say we conjured this out of thin air, uh, our, our graphs, but this is the data on which our analysis and graphs are based. So they are public, downloadable, and, and anybody who likes can redo the analysis. I think that is what were the steps that we have been taking to establish a, a trust in, in the information that we are providing. I was just going to say, we're coming back to the topic of trust again here. Of course. On a, on a bit more personal level, I, I think if, if we look back, it's safe to say that this past year has been tremendous uh, for all of us. You know, I can only imagine what it must have been like for you in the center of this storm and for you and your colleagues. So how have you and, and colleagues fared during this time? Yeah, it was um, on the one hand, you know, most of us, including myself, joined ECDC for exactly such situation. We found we did regular pulse checks, service among our staff, and we found that this situation united all of us in a single purpose. So in that sense, we were very dedicated to work and, uh, and also motivated. On the other hand, of course, it was exhausting, and it still is. The fact that most of us are expatriates, meaning... We don't have our families here in Sweden. It also means that many of us haven't seen their families or their next relatives for a long time. And uh, that is, of course, also, and the, together with the fact that we're all now working from home, is also creating a certain feeling of isolation. And we have uh, really tried to uh, put out stress coping um, uh, seminars, so that other opportunities where people can meet online, not in person. So we have tried to adapt, but I think all in all, uh, it's quite a, an extraordinary period for all of us. Yes. So also for you personally, because your family is in Germany, right? And you have not been able to see them either. No, I have seen them since, um, well, over a year only once last year. Yes, and then we know that also from our colleagues, that is the case that, you know, some of them have not seen their family for a very long time. How do you very personally deal with this time? What, what keeps you strong and positive? Well, one, of course, the same motivation, because, I mean, this is exactly why I'm working in infectious diseases since such a long time now. And also, I found it very inspiring to lead such a group of highly skilled and motivated people. I mean, it's just uh, really uplifting, I have to say. But then also, I have tried to reserve, even if it's only a little bit of time every day, uh, but I have tried to reserve time for those things that I like to do. 
I mean, some of the things I like to do, I couldn't do. I like traveling. Of course, this wasn't possible, but others I could still do. Uh, I like gardening here on my balconies and that I, I could do uh, as well. Since I'm, I'm, I'm working from home, I'm cooking, so I try to eat healthy and I have uh, kept my daily yoga practice. That helps really a lot. A daily yoga practice. That's, that's impressive. And Skype became my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> we find our ways of coping, right? Yeah. Um, one last question, Andrea, before, before we wrap this up. And it has been a real pleasure talking to you. If you had one urgent wish for the future, what would it be? I think um, when seeing how many people have suffered from this disease, how many millions have died and are dying, they put an obligation on us to really learn the lessons and create something that is better than what we had before. That's a really nice, nice way of ending our podcast. It also links very nicely to the theme of, of this year's European Health Forum, Gastein, actually. So thank you so much, Andrea, for joining me today. And uh, this is our second podcast. A big thanks also to our listeners. Goodbye. Goodbye, and it was my pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. Please visit europeanhealthunion.eu to learn more and support the initiative and follow us at EHU Initiative on Twitter. Stay tuned for our upcoming events.